All right, we will turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. We're finishing up the church at Philadelphia. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. And to the angel, presiding minister of the church in Philadelphia, write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts and shuts and no man opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my patience, also I will keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the world. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast what you have, so no man takes thy crown. Him that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you, Father, for your word preserved uh, for us. And we ask for the Spirit's help to understand it, uh, to know uh, the truth of it, apply it, uh, to rejoice in it, uh, to be able to see uh, those things, those treasures which you have provided for us in your word. We ask that you would this morning forgive our sins, cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness uh, by your precious blood by which we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the name of our God. We pray, Father, that you would would hear us now through the mediation of Christ our Lord. We present ourselves before you. We ask that you would um, teach us out of this particular text that you have given us this morning. We thank you for all the mercies that we have through Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Revelation chapter 3. And we've been looking at uh, the church at Philadelphia, the powerful of the world uh, there in Philadelphia against the church, the church's faithfulness, the powerful of the world represent Christ as flawed, unholy. Christ presents himself to the church as he that is holy. The powerful of the world say that Christ and Christianity is not true. Christ presents himself to the church reveals himself as he that is holy and true. And the powerful of the world lusts after more power, more control at all times through all the centuries. And Christ says to his church, I have the key of David, which is a representation of all power and all authority that has been given to Christ. He has a dominion that is from everlasting to everlasting. 
It is interesting some of the parallels that are between the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. A lot of people when they're studying either one of those books or in both of those books at the same time. And uh, turn in your Bibles for a moment to Daniel chapter 2. And we'll just note uh, the numerous times in the book of Daniel in which this key of David, which this authority, this dominion is mentioned in that book as well which looks forward to the times of the Messiah and the Messiah's coming. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. So here is going to be a different type of kingdom, since all other kingdoms, when they're set up, eventually are given to somebody else. Nobody has a kingdom that lasts forever. Nobody has a dynasty that lasts forever except this one. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all of these kingdoms, and it will stand forever. Talking about the kingdom of Christ, which is the only kingdom that shall remain and shall stand forever upon the earth. Daniel chapter 4 in verse 1 Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God has wrought toward me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar found this out in the midst of his pride in which he boasted of his dominion. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, at the end of the days, the days in which God put Nebuchadnezzar out to pasture, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that lives forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, And his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? So a good word from Nebuchadnezzar, who was taught a great lesson, and also shows the mercy of God and the restorative power of God and that this man had as it were lost his mind went out into the fields and ate grass like the cattle and yet God restored him to the kingship as well didn't just barely restore his mind but put him back in in into a great dominion as well Daniel chapter 7 in verse 13 I saw in the night visions and behold one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And so that is a great comfort to the saints and to the Philadelphians in our letter as well, who in every age... The pagans 
say they're going to destroy Christianity, they're going to destroy Christ, they're going to destroy the church, and it cannot happen. And we read in Revelation chapter 4, our next chapter, after the letter to the churches, the four and 20, in verse 10, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created, because David has, Christ has the key of David. He has all dominion. Now, in Revelation chapter 3, the Church of Philadelphia, in verse 8, he says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it, for you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Their little strength, which we talked about, uh, McShane in his book talked about how little faith is still faith and how little strength is still strength. So some believe this little strength was partially their lack of political clout, that they were this little church in the midst of a big giant political world uh, which surrounded them as well as a religious world that did the same. Perhaps weary worn with the persecuting Jews uh, in the synagogue who uh, had dealt with them, no doubt, as they had dealt with Christians in every city throughout Asia. They had learned as well all about the unholy nature of their leaders. They had learned about betrayal because the Philadelphians in their history had been tossed about politically. At one point they were the premier vineyards of the ancient world and because Rome didn't like that, a decree came down to pull up all the vineyards in Philadelphia so that Rome could be the premier vineyard. So they knew about betrayal. They knew what it was uh, to not be able to trust their leaders. Thou hast a little strength. They are weak, but they're still working. They are weak, but they're not silenced, and they're not stymied, and they're not standing still. They're still working. As Christ admonished us, work for the night is coming when men work no more. So they had a little strength, but God still knew their works. And knowing they had a mind and will to work, he opened doors for them. The weak are encouraged that we have an almighty God who can open doors which no man can shut. He says, I have set before you an open door. I have set before you an open door. Opportunities, opportunities to serve the Lord. That's the kind of doors the Lord opens. And God opens all kinds of things. And in the days of Noah, when God would destroy the earth because of the wickedness of man, he opened the heavens and the rain came down and destroyed the earth. When Rachel and Leah were barren and they prayed to God, he opened the womb for them. When Balaam couldn't see why his donkey was acting the way he was, because the donkey was seeing spiritual things which Balaam couldn't see, God opened the eyes of Balaam. And when Elisha had a servant trembling next to him because of the fact of the armies outside the gates, God opened his eyes to see in the spiritual world uh, surrounding mountains filled with 
angels to protect. In the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 35, 5, and then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And in Matthew, Christ says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Because everybody who knocks, it shall be opened. So it teaches us that this effectual door, this door which is spoken of in Revelation, uh, the, the human means by which we participate as co-laborers with God is that we ask God to open the doors. And God opens the doors. Because he is the one who can open the door. He can do the things which are impossible for us. We look at the situation and we say, well, that's not an option. And yet God can open doors. And we read in the Acts of the Apostles, and of course we also read the graves he opens. So if he can open the graves, he can do anything. He can open the hearts of men. In Acts chapter 5, it says, The angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors. In Acts chapter 12, it says, The iron gate of the city opened of its own accord. Actually, God was doing that, but that's how it looked like to them. In Acts 14, 27, it says that, they, that God had opened a door to the faith of the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 16, Lydia's heart was opened by the Lord in that little meeting by the river. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, Paul says, A great and effectual door is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Brother Mark Gerard preached on that while he was here. And so the Philadelphians have many enemies too. But God still has opened a door for them, a door of service, a door of ministry. That's what God opens for us. And when he opened the door for the progress of the work and the usefulness of service, nobody can shut it. Nobody can shut it. People can talk about it. People can naysay it. But people can't stop the Lord in what he is opening. So they had a little strength. But God knew their works, and knowing they had a mind to work, he opened the doors, and with their little strength, they made use of God's open doors. Paul said, we are troubled on every side, but we're not distressed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. We're always burying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in us. When we are weak, he is strong, and we feel our weakness, he is strongest. And so they had a little strength, but God had a work for them to do. And it says in the text that they kept God's word and they didn't deny his name. The word of God is that which preserved them and upheld them and buoyed them up. And the name of God, that is his character and attributes, filled them with hope and joy. And they resisted the devil on all accounts. And though this church is weak, that they have no cloud in the world or politicians have passed laws against them. The judges have ruled against them. Other religions persecute them. Besides the internal warfare in their own soul, they have a little strength, and yet they have hope and faith in God. And that almighty God opens then the doors. Barnes says this, The Savior saw among the evidences of spiritual life, and in view of what he says, he had set before him an open door, and there was abundant opportunity to employ all the energy and zeal which they had, it may be remarked that the same thing is true now, that wherever there is vitality in a church, 
the Savior will furnish ample opportunities that it may be employed for his service. And thou hast not denied my name. When Christians were brought before heathen magistrates in times of persecution, they were required to renounce the name of Christ and to disown him in a public manner. It is possible that amidst the persecutions that raged in early times, the members of the church in Philadelphia had been summoned and they did not deny his name. And it is said by some also that they, having been cast out of the synagogue, they were not afforded the protection that some of the synagogue was afforded for that very, um, that very aspect of the trials to, to not have to state that Caesar is Lord. The Jewish synagogue had rejected Christ as well. In verse 9 it says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. The term he uses for the synagogues of the Jews now. Uh, because the Jews, when their Messiah came, did not receive their Messiah. And because there was a portion of them that went on in their Old Testament fashion, and they looked for another Messiah, not just looking for another Messiah, but actually persecuting this Messiah and his followers as well. And so Christ calls them a synagogue of Satan. They persecuted the Christians. They actually forbade the Christians to preach to Jews. In John chapter 5, 37, Christ said, The Father himself which has sent me has borne witness of me, and you have neither heard his voice at any time or seen his shape, and you have not his word abiding in your heart. For whom he has sent, you don't believe. Search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, but they are that which testify of me. You will not come to me that you might have life. That's why Christ here in Revelation 3.9 calls it a synagogue of Satan, and he says, they say they are Jews, but they're not. They say they are Jews, but they're not. And Paul explains that to us in Romans 2.28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither that circumcision that is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and of the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Not as though the word of God had taken no effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, and neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they the children. But in Isaac, your seed will be called. In other words, in the miracle child. Isaac was the miracle child, produced only by a miracle. And these are the true Jews, and these are the true Christians as well. Only those who have a spiritual birth, a miraculous birth, a birth that's divine, a birth which only God can do, who changes the heart and gives us new life in God. They say they're Jews, but they're not, Christ says. But they lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before your feet and know that I love you. An interesting, very interesting text of scripture. Those who had tried to induce them to deny Christ. Those who had imprisoned them, beaten them, killed them, tortured them, shut them out of the synagogue, shut them out of their own families, had funerals for them. These very ones were one day 
are one day going to be made to come and bow before these children of God and acknowledge who they are, that they are, they were and they are the sons of God. They have power now, but the day is coming when they will bow before the saints who will rule with Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Do you not know that we will judge angels? Behold, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against the saints until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And Jesus said unto them, Matthew nineteen twenty eight, Verily I say to you that you which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has forsaken houses, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit everlasting life. And many that are first will be last, and the last will be first. And that's how it will be in that day. Those who hated the Christians, those who persecuted the Christians, those who killed the Christians will come and they will bow and they will scrape before the Christians who will be seated with Christ in his kingdom upon his throne. And it shall be known who was the sons of God, who were the beloved of the Lord, who they dared to touch. Even as Christ rebuked Saul, why are you persecuting me? Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before your feet <coughs> and to know <coughs> that I love you, that I love you. <coughs> and the saints, perhaps, felt very stressed with the kind of persecution they have faced and have through the centuries. And yet he says, you will know my love. You will know my love. Even as Peter did. Even Peter who denied the Lord. Christ came and loved him. Because you have kept the word of my patience, verse 10. Because you have kept the word of my patience, I will keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. In the New King James, it reads, Because you have kept my command to persevere, the word of my patience, my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial. The hour of trial is variously <clears throat> interpreted uh, according to various eschatological views. Some believe, of course, who are more in the preterist camp will believe that this is speaking of the AD 70 event that the Christians would be kept from that slaughter of the Jews that generally went on in the Roman Empire at that time. Others look forward to the uh, judgment seat of Christ itself, that they will be kept in the sense of being kept from uh, damnation, kept from uh, being tossed away. And others <clears throat> view it more in the sense that this trial or temptation that comes upon the world is ever and always coming upon the world to deny the Lord and that they would be kept from denying the Lord 
they would be preserved and they would apply that back to the beginning of this verse which says, because you have kept the word of my patience, um, I will keep you from the hour of temptation. We do know this, that God, God does uphold his children. He, he, he preserves his children and that's why they persevere. We know that. In patience, we are to possess our souls, Christ said. In patience, possess your soul. We need faith in God to possess our souls in the killing times. We have to have faith in God. Our faith must be strong and it must be upon the Lord. We need hope. We need hope of a better world to come in the killing times. That this is not just all that we have here so that we don't despair uh, when they come. The killing times come. But there's a world to come. We need to be filled with the love of Christ to possess our souls in the killing times as well. That we love not our life unto death. That the love of Christ is shed abroad in our heart in such a way and we are filled with the love of Christ so much so that we can persevere in the killing times. Love is patient, faith is patient, and hope is patient. For we through the Spirit, Paul says to the Galatians, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. To the Thessalonians he says, and the Lord Direct your heart into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. The patient waiting for Christ. So when the times come and the times of trial come, there is to be this patient waiting for Christ. And that is that we are, sorry, that we are waiting, trusting, working, laboring, and not uh, not being suspicious of our Lord, uh, not thinking that the Lord has, has abandoned us in any fashion whatsoever, but trusting in every situation that his sovereign hand is in control even over uh, the killing times themselves. Romans 8.24, for we, are, we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope for why does one still hope for what he sees, but if we hope for what we don't see, we eagerly Wait for it. <laughs> That's an interesting phrase. We eagerly wait. Eagerly wait. Not anxiously wait, but eagerly wait. Because you have kept the word of my patience. Meyer had an interesting statement on that. <clears throat> he said, The whole word of God is a word of patience, or rather appears to be in the view of the revelation in general. And of our epistle in particular, because with respect to troubles unavoidable to believers, it gives and demands steadfast, faithful, and hopeful patience, the virtue which alone can lead us from all troubles to glory. With respect to the already present and still future troubles, everything to the believer turns upon the fact that he overcomes. This he can attain only through the hupo mano to remain under, this patience, to remain under, to which the word of the Lord points him. And thus the writer of the apocalypse can from his point of vision regard the whole word of Christ as a word of patience, of remaining under the suffering. With the same right, 
Paul, the preacher of righteousness alone by faith in the crucified, represented the whole gospel as the logos of Staupo. So God would not test them beyond what they were able, and God knows how to deliver his poor and weak lambs out of the hands of the great and mighty persecutors, the ones who look weak. You are weak, but I know your work. Isaiah said he'll feed his flock like a shepherd and gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So they would be kept safe from temptation, the temptation to, de- to deny Christ, which most of the world is going to succumb to. Most of the world will be captured by Satan. The largest portion is right now underneath the power of Satan, and they are denying the one true God, the one holy Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. God delivers the weak. He delivered weak Lot. Lock, Lot had little strength, but God still delivered him out. It was still faith. He was still a righteous man. He had got himself in quite a pickle, and yet God delivered him out still. All that dwell on the earth are sorely tried, and the devil desires to have each and every one of them. But the power of God will keep his weak children, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which you have, that no man take your crown. This is the watchword of of the book of Revelation. Revelation 2 and verse 5, he said, Remember therefore from whence you are fallen, repent and do the first works, or I will come to you quickly and remove your candlestick. Revelation 2.16, Repent or I will come unto you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Revelation 3.11, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast, which you have, that no man take your crown. And then in Revelation 22, he finishes the book with verse 7, Behold, I come quickly, blessed is he that keeps the saying of the prophecy of this book. And verse 12, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Revelation 22.20, He that testifies these things says, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. And again, your understanding of that I come quickly is going to be according to your own eschatological uh, views on the subject. But there is an obvious emphasis here throughout the book of Revelation to the churches. He says, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast. Hold fast. We know this. Now, if, if he was speaking of A.D. 70, yes, then if it was written and all that works out according to their own ideas, then he came in judgment and, uh, upon the world at that time. We know that in application for ourselves, that death is always near the door, as the old, I think it was Church of England statement at the funerals used to say, We are always in death in the midst of life. Behold, I come quickly. The scripture teaches us that Christ comes for his children at death to 
preside in the transport of them into eternal glory. Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Our trials will not be forever. We are to hold fast to what we have. We are not in the midst of the killing times to give it up or believe their lies. And we are not to forget about the crown that awaits. He he presents this to us more than once in the scriptures where he speaks of a crown. He says, verse 10, because you have kept the word of my patience, I will keep you from the hour of temptation which shall try those upon the world that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have that no man take your crown, your reward. That no man take your reward. And so we are to tenaciously and carefully guard that which God has entrusted to us. We are to guard the progress we have made. When we talk about sanctification, it's a progressive thing. We are to guard that. I don't want to throw away all that God has done for my soul in an hour of trial, in an hour of temptation. We are to protect ourselves in that. We don't even want to do it with temporal sins like David did with Bathsheba. That was a great heartbreak to David and to all of Israel because he had thrown away a testimony at the moment. So in all, at all times, we are to be guarding. We are to be guarding the reward. We are to be guarding the crown that Satan would like to take and put upon his own head. Meyer says, what the church has must be that because of which it is to receive the crown if it holds fast. The church at Ephesus has this, that it hates the words, works of the Nicolaitans. What the church at Philadelphia has is to be discerned from Revelation 8 through 10. This, that in trouble they had patiently kept the word of the Lord. They had not denied his name. Holding fast is by perseverance to the end, but the victor's crown of eternal life, the hope laid up, would be taken away if the church would not hold fast to that which it had, but the impending temptation would waver and apostatize and leave the Lord. Hence the Lord who pledges his gracious preservation admonishes also to hold fast because we believe in both the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Verse 12. Him that overcomes, I will make a pillar. Him that overcomes, the word Nike, the idea of the victory. Him that resists the devil and perseveres in the faith to the end, I will make a pillar. Henry writes, Christ promises a glorious reward to the victorious believer. He shall be a monument, a monumental pillar in the temple of God, a monument to the free and powerful grace of God. And he shall not go out, he shall go out no more, and he shall go out no more. He'll be made a monument to God's grace. He will not be made to leave anymore. Never again thrown out of the synagogue, which was supposed to be a place of God. Never again thrown out of his own house, his own family, his own business, his own congregation, his own country, which 
John, who writes, had that done to him. The, the glory of the reward that he says to him is a permanent place with a permanent family, with permanent love, and in which the, the flux of this world and the persecutions of this world will be taken away. Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in the way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself in any wise to do evil. Evil doers will be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. For in a little while, the wicked shall not be. You will try to, you will consider his place, but it won't be. The meek will inherit the earth. Psalm 37. Christians are promised a better country. They're promised a fatherland, is what they're promised in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 13, a fatherland. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Verse 14, for they that say such things declare plainly they seek a country, a fatherland is what the Greek word is. No more going out, no more being sent out, no more going out into an abusive world. And he shall go out no more, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, and write upon him my new name. The teaching, the warnings, the admonitions, the comforts are meant for every Christian in every age and every church in every age. He that has an ear, let him hear. The problems remain the same, and the solutions remain the same, and the Savior remains the same the one who's holding the stars and walking among the candlesticks, the one who invites us to partake of his grace. And so he says that what we shall have in that day is that we shall have the name of our God written upon us. I will write upon him the name of my God. They had a name, and and they had a name called Christian, but it was... It was mocked and it was, it was um, used to cast them out of places as well for what they were. But in the New Jerusalem, they're going to have a name, the name of God written upon them, which means they're owned by God. They belong to God. It's a belonging, like George Mueller used to write the names of his orphans in his book. <clears throat> as one of his orphans said, it was, the wonder, it was a wonderful thing to have my name written in his book. It meant I belonged. And so having the name of our God written upon us means we belong. And it means we belong to God. And having the new Jerusalem means we belong to the city. And we belong to the new, the new era, the new world, as it were. The, the new, uh, that new world which God creates uh, anew. And the unrighteous are cast out of it and only the righteous are there. So we have the name of our God because we belong to him. We have the name of our the city because we belong to this new humanity. The new humanity are all those who believe in Jesus Christ and have been redeemed by him and are going to repopulate this earth with the saints of all ages forever and ever. And then he says also, and I'll write upon him my new name as well. God's new name, uh, what is it? It does not tell us. I'll write upon him my new name. 
but in, in the midst of the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ, it has to be something wonderful. We already have hundreds of names of God given to us in the scriptures of which we rejoice in and we, we delight in those names. They are the support of our hearts. But he says he'll also write upon us his new name. And we will never fear again, we will never sorrow again, and we will never be weak again. We will always be his children. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement. For us who are your weak and poor little ones here upon the earth, surrounded by a world of terror, uh, we are also surrounded by thy love and immersed in thy love. And so we pray that you would uh, continually, O Lord, renew our hearts in your word, renew our hearts in your name, and we ask that you would uh, uphold us and strengthen us for whatever trial that you have purposed for us to glorify your name with. We ask, O Father, that you would hear us through Christ our Lord. Amen.